Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We go in and I'm trying to problem solve with him and Edward comes in, strips naked, goes and takes a shower. I could not believe that. All right, Jim, first of all, thanks for joining me. We are actually, um, believe it or not, in the Tennis Channel, uh, what do we call it? Uh, booth. The booth. Oh, my God, sorry. The Tennis Channel booth <laughs> here in Washington, um, where you were calling the, the, the city open here. Um, this is my office for the week. I know. It nice is. digs. Good yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's actually great, too, because it's nice and quiet in here. Um, Jim, I guess, uh, you know, I want to go back to the start. We all do that, right? Um, I want to know how you sort of got into tennis. I mean, you're from Dade, Dade, Dade City, City in mm-hmm. Florida. Um, how did you get involved in tennis? Pretty simply, my parents, um, when they got out of college, you know, tennis in the 1970s was a big craze in America. It was a big celebrities were playing. You know, it was an era with Chrissy and Jimmy and uh, Arthur Ashe and Billy. And, the, you know, it was just a real popular thing for people to do socially. So that's what my parents did with their friends. They played a lot of mixed doubles in the public parks in Dade City where we lived. Um, there was no tennis club there, but they were. we went to the public park, so the high school, the community college, and and my sister and I, my sister's two years older than I am, and, and we would play with each other or go to the jungle gym, but eventually we'd want to do what our parents were doing. So that's how I got started playing tennis, is just simply seeing my parents do it. They were B-level tennis players, very good athletes, but not like proper tennis players that had played a long time. But we loved it as a family. We played it a lot as a family. It was a good activity. It was among many sports that we played together. We're a very outdoors family. So it was really organic. There was no plan or you know, idea that, that, I, that tennis professional was a proper path for a living. Um, frankly, we didn't even know about junior tournaments when we got started. It was, a, it was just one of those really natural, fun discovery um, scenarios for us. Were you doing any other sports? Lots. I played organized baseball. My dad was a very good baseball player. He played at is the that, University of Is that of how you got the back end? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I was a good baseball player, and I had proper baseball technique. And unfortunately... So you were lefty when you played lefty, baseball? Lefty. I oh, swing. So, I throw, that makes so much sense right? to me now. So I throw righty and swing lefty. Yep. And so does my brother. My brother played college baseball, my younger brother. And um, so unfortunately, I decided when I was toggling at sort of 7 and 8, toggling back between baseball season and, and tennis season and then back and forth to kind of cut out the middleman so I didn't have to have two swings. I just kind of combined them. And that was a near-fatal mistake. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so interesting for me when I do these podcasts. I often, you know, get sort of a little bit of backstory. And some, obviously, I know you really well, but... It, I, I never knew something like that yeah. now, so it's so, it's so fun for people to actually discover because it's also important for parents to understand it's not necessarily about sending them to you know an academy to begin. Yeah. I think what you're saying is that, as I feel the same way how, growing up, you have to love the sport as a kid. Mm-hmm. And if you can instill that in your child just by being an example of the joy yeah. of playing tennis, I guess that's important. I think so many of us got into the sport because of our parents, because they were involved in it. Well, my I, parents I, didn't play tennis at all. So how did you get involved in it? Well, it's my older brother. But okay. I think it's somebody in 
you know, your parents obviously can steer you in a certain way. Sure. But also for me being Australian, it was I was the same. I played tons of sports, mm. so I just happened to be good at that one. Do you think that's healthier to play lots of sports? A hundred percent. I think it's really important for you, especially kids, different hand-eye coordination yeah. sports, footwork sports. Yeah. I mean, baseball is not exactly, I wouldn't put that in a super athletic as far as... It's hand-eye. It's not, hand-eye, it's not, yeah. doesn't require any, any kind of endurance. It just requires really good hand-eye and, and speed to get around the bases. And yeah. I mean, it, it does have some skill to it, just yeah. not quite as complete as something like basketball or, or, uh, or tennis or soccer or something like that. But yeah, I played organized soccer for a couple of years too, and I loved coming up and playing a lots, lots of different sports. I didn't specialize in tennis until I was 13, mm-hmm. and uh, that for me was the right fit. But I also have, I leave room for other people's paths too, because our path isn't the only path, yeah, of course. And, totally. and I see people like Andre and Pete and Michael, my peer group, that only played tennis. They didn't play other organized sports, and, and they came through and, and have had wonderful lives and careers too, and, and I, I don't know that they knew any different. Yeah. Um, so it, it's God, you four are so different, though, when you yeah. think about your personality. So I think yeah. that's also we'll yeah. get we'll get to them in a bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, sure. But so you you got I guess you go from you know kind of public public park playing tennis yeah. with your family yeah. to heading to the Boletary Academy, which mm-hmm. is certainly a whole different story, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, that is organized tennis at its highest. Yeah. Well, you know, I went to Hopman's first, right, in Largo. So Harry Hopman had an academy going over yeah. at, at Bardmore, and, and which is a, a little closer to where I lived. Yeah. It was about an hour away as opposed to Boletari's being an hour and a half. So that was the first academy that I went to, and I, I went over there and would go on weekends and, and eventually did about a two-month stint over there at one point. And, and then I, I, uh, I had a scholarship. Harry was uh, Mr. Hopman was nice enough to, to offer one to us, and, and then it got rescinded, so I was back home. And that's Why did it get rescinded? I, I, I don't know. But in any case, do you ever uh, want to know? Um, Did you ever say? I know. Hey I just guys, don't, I you know, know what I ended up doing? I know. I just won't say on the podcast. <laughs> I'll tell you offline. <laughs> oh, that's fine. But because um, you, you know, you know some of the kidding. you know some of the people involved. They're ah. not Australian. It's okay. I mean, I I also have my story of uh, one uh, Australian Institute of Sport coach telling me that they weren't going to send me away because my 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 results didn't warrant. Uh, them doing so and paying for it and my answer to them was well F you I'm going anyway I'm going to pay my own way so you know I think it's important for people to actually hear that even players as great as you ended up being are are pretty much, you know, sometimes given the uh, the Heisman, like the palm up and saying you're not good enough. It's healthy, actually, in a way, yeah. to, to not be, for me, in a way, it was healthy to not be told that I was destined for greatness, even though I was one of the best players in the state of Florida and in the nation. One thing that was really eye-opener for me, just as far as how life works, happened when I was 12 years old, and, and I, I was getting a lot of pressure in Dade City, where I live, to play the Little League All-Star Baseball Tournament, mm-hmm. which where they put the best players together and we compete against other cities and states, and you know it's a national competition, yeah. international actually. And so I didn't play the national juniors that year, and I had been a top in ten tennis. in tennis. So I'd been because they coincided yeah. in the summer. So I'd been a top ten junior in America in the twelve and unders. This was my first year of fourteens, and I was. Uh, I didn't play, so my ranking dropped down to like 85 in the country as a first year, which meant that Fila, who was giving me free clothes, said, no, we're not going to give you free clothes anymore. And that was heartbreaking at 12. Yeah, yeah I know. Heartbreaking free to get clothes, the, get the, rackets, the, the like... rug pulled out from underneath you. So that gave me a little bit of an understanding of how the world works, that it's not all roses. And, and, um, and that, was, that was healthy for me. It didn't give me a chip on my shoulder, just 
made me realize that you have to work hard and you got to keep doing stuff if you want to keep getting stuff. Yeah, I think it's really important for everybody here that not everything's that easy. And yeah. as you said, and you were a top junior, but also you decided to play a sport that you wanted to play at that time. Yeah. So I think that's important for parents to hear yeah. as well. You don't necessarily have to put, if your kids want to do something else at that time, mm-hmm. let them because they're 12. Yeah, like, they only get to be a kid once. Exactly. So I'm glad that you said that. Yeah. All right. So, you know, you go through Boletaries. It's kind of, um, you know, it's a little cutthroat there. It's like, you know, yeah. it's mano a mano. It's like, who's the best? Who's getting Nick's attention? Blah, sure. blah, blah. It's pretty well documented that, you know, you and Andre were there at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, how much did that influence you just getting better as well? Big time. So I, I would, I'd gone back home from Hotman's where I was surrounded by great players that were better than me and older and all that stuff and, and pros practicing as well to being in Dade City and having to now drive 30 to 45 minutes after school both ways to find reasonable practice. And it was stressful on my parents, it was stressful on me, and I wasn't getting better. Mm-hmm. And I, I was working hard to get better, but I, I was getting passed by people. But somehow I conjured up a good result at the Orange Bowl, which was a pretty high-profile, it still is yeah. a high-profile junior tennis tournament at the end of the year down in Miami, and I made the finals of the 14 and unders somehow, some way, and that got Nick's attention, mm-hmm. and that got me a scholarship offer to come down there, and that was a real fork in the road in my life. I don't know what would have happened um, had I still stayed in Dade City and been having to grind out practices. I don't know where I would have ended up, but I know that being in that environment, which is a professional environment with really big strivers, uh, pros that are showing you how they're doing it, Mm -hmm. um, best amateurs in the world. Um, It was special for me to get a chance. And I chose to be there. I very much wanted to be there, which is the polar opposite of people like Andre. He wasn't the only one who was there against his will. And as a result, I really embraced everything that it offered, and I ate it up, and I got better in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. So when you won, uh, you know, when you when you won at the French Open, you obviously had to play Andre. I mean, the chances of of that happening, you know, looking at the next ten years was pretty obvious. I mean, you two were one, two of the greatest players at that time, so it wasn't yeah. that big of a deal that you played in the final. But it was also it was a little crazy because yeah. Nick had sort of taken over coaching Andre, and you were not part of the voluntary system at that point. Well, I was actually. I mean, Nick was. I was using one of his coaches at the time, okay. Sergio Cruz. So that was kind of the conflict for me. The emotional conflict for me was that Nick was still supporting me. I was still training at the academy, but that was the fissure once he sat in Andre's box. And, it, and you know, court won the bull ring. The yeah. box is right behind the player chairs. I mean, you almost touch them. So and, was, and Nick's voice is very easy to yeah, recognize. Yeah. So that for me, I just did. I couldn't fathom this this guy who had done so much for me, yeah. giving me a scholarship, giving me all these opportunities. I was traveling with one of his coaches that he was so visibly siding with Andre for me just didn't make sense and of course I took it emotionally and I left virtually the next day and and took his coach with me yeah so um you know I wasn't mature enough to understand the business decision that he was making there which I can now understand and have full clarity on yeah and we have no we have no bad bones at all Nick and I but um you know we did I I certainly felt um slighted at the time um but you know he changed my life in, in a great way so you were, I mean, you were obviously known as one of the hardest workers on tour. Um, you know, when your first uh, slam was the French Open, yeah. correct? Do you, do you remember that, that match and that night? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was so good. I mean, the match was really intense. It, it had a, a couple of rain delays. I got off to a very slow start, uh, finished late, 
and then it's a blur. You know, you've won majors. You know how kind of it feels like you're in, in working in warp speed at the time because yeah. there's just things that you have to do and yeah. and your world is changing and you're not really sure why. I mean, you, you kind of understand it, but not fully at that point. Um, so it was great. You know, I'm out with my coach and my agent and, and uh, you know, USTA people were around. It was... It was a blast, and you wake up the next day, and all of a sudden, people at the Today Show and Good Morning America want to talk to you, which are which is an alien concept. Yeah. So um, it was it was awesome. It was a lot. It was fun. It was scary. It was. Um, would you would you have considered yourself at that time fairly shy, or were you? No. 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 Never. Because uh, I left home at fourteen. Yeah. I, you can't really be that shy if you've got to go fend for yourself in an environment where you're one of eight boys, teenage boys full of testosterone staying in a small room, <laughs> you, you shy is not going to cut it. Yeah. So, um, no. do, do you think that that sort of helped you after that? Is that, or, or I, I guess more the question is because I haven't gone through that of winning majors in singles and you wake up the next day and you sort of feel like, okay, the target's now on me. Was that a different experience for you? Even though you was, it was yeah. such a crazy yeah. time for American tennis as well yeah. with a lot of spotlight oh, yeah. on a lot of players, sure. but you were the first, I believe, to, of that group to win a slam. Well, that we'd had a couple guys break through earlier so that the, they, the guys had sort of foamed the runway for me, if you mm -hmm. will, with, with Michael and Pete had already had success okay. at a high level. Yeah. Ironically, Andre, who was you know, the best of us at the youngest age, you know, it took him a little bit longer to win majors. Of course, he would win eight yeah. and have an amazing career. Um, but for me, it was I was really lucky, and that I think coming from a small town helped me process that because I went back to that small town, mm -hmm. and I went back and stayed at home at my parents' house for for like four or five days, and that was good for me to get sort of stabilized and to understand who my core group of people were because because what changes it, it, you don't necessarily change inside. What changes is what what's happening around you and how people are viewing you, and that can change a person in that environment if you allow it to. Yeah, and, and, and how many more friends you have all of a sudden. Yeah, and then reali realizing who is your friend and who isn't yeah. is, is really important. So that I, I had a good core group of people and, and some parents who were still raising my brother who's 11 years younger than me. So, yeah. you know, there was they weren't at the tournaments with me every week. There was no pressure on that. Yeah. They were living their lives. My dad was working. My brother's in school. My mom's taking care of him. So, yeah. you know, it was... I had, a pretty normality I had a pretty, nor for an abnormal period of my life, I had a lot of normality, which mm -hmm. was great. So, onto that rivalry with Andre, and I, you know, it's funny, I, sitting here in Washington, I'm actually directly looking at, you mm -hmm. know, the champions here, 95 Agassi, 96 Chang, 97 Chang, Agassi. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you think about Chang, Agassi, yourself, and of course, Pete. Um, that period of time, um, were you guys were you guys friends, or were you sort of like just, you know, in in a, in a locker room together, having to play against each other, but knew each other from juniors? Well, it I think it moved around a little bit. Yeah. I think that at, when we started off, Pete and I would take it way back. Huh? Michael and I roomed together on Junior Davis Cup, so we traveled all summer as juniors, staying in the same hotel room one year. Yeah. Um, Pete and I were, were doubles partners the first year that we were out on tour together. Until he won the U.S. Open, we played a lot of doubles together and, and basically ate all the meals and practiced a ton together. Um, Andre and I had spent the time at Boletaries, and, and, and then we'd all end up playing Davis Cup together at various times through our careers. What and, a crazy and be team. At, being at Olympics together and yeah. things like that. So um, 
you know, I don't think there was ever any any moments where anyone was remotely getting close to a fist fight. You know, yeah. I think we're all relatively respectful of each other and friendly and and um, you know, for the most part. So no, I, I think it was it was an amazing time and, and of course there's tension when you're trying to compete for the same things and you're basically fighting for each other's lunch money in yeah. a way. Yeah. Although we were lucky enough to have plenty to offer thanks to Billy and, you know, Arthur and all the our forefathers and, and foremothers who paved the way for you and me yeah. to live this amazing life. But um, it's it's nice to look back now and to be able to talk to those guys now and through the lens if we came through it together. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been pretty special. If one, Okay, pick one of those guys to go on a, a deserted island with and hang out with for a week. Well, Andre's probably the, the most... Um, He's the biggest seeker, I would say. So if you want to have conversations about lots of different topics, Andre is probably the broadest. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know that as well. You spend time because you're yeah. obviously tight with Steph. So, yeah. um, you know, for, so for conversations, you know, Andre is is awesome. I mean, you're not going to get nicer people than, than Peter Michael. You're yeah. just not. I mean, yeah. they're just, they're not going to say anything bad about anyone. Pete, I mean, I, you know, he's got a sly sense of humor when he's in the locker room or yeah. at the golf club or whatever. And, and Michael is just as kind and generous and thoughtful as you'll find. Yeah. So it just depends on what mood I would be in is what am I looking for? That's true. You know, what, if you want to have, you know, some raucous discussions, you probably want to bring in double A. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to know if you, when you guys get into a conversation, who speaks the most? <laughs> because you're both so philosophical and really, I mean, you're really deep thinkers, the two of you. Well, you and um, Andre. Well, thank you, I think. Um, no, I mean, it's actually a compliment, yeah. believe it or not. I mean, I know you're used to me giving you shit. <laughs> I, I am. Oh, we, we can say shit on you. Yeah, you oh, can. Okay. Oh, it's a podcast, man. Oh, you can okay. say whatever you want. All right, all right just Oh, we drop sure. F-bombs and oh, okay. all kinds of all right, stuff. Well, I'll try and keep it relatively clean. Um, <laughs> Look, when I Andre and I don't speak that frequently, but when we do, I like to hear what he has to say. I like to I know what I'm thinking. I know what's in my head, so I'm trying to listen more yeah. um, and see what I can glean from him and and figure out because he's he's surrounds himself with some really interesting people, mm -hmm. and he has a lot of different takes and interesting angles that that uh, I like to hear. Yeah. So I, I try and listen more than, than speak there. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you, particularly him, he got to that point as well, right, in his life, because he certainly wasn't like that <laughs> early on. <laughs> um, I want to go back to one match at the Australian Open when Pete puked in that match. What goes through a, a player's mind, particularly you who knows Pete, this is yeah. an incredibly high-stakes match, yeah. and you see someone throw up. What, what, what was the first thought in your head? Well, I think you might be conflating two matches, right? Because Pete threw up against Croatia at the oh, U.S. That, yeah, Open. He had, he had the tears because oh, the tears we, against the, you at the at U.S. Australia. at the Australian Open. Yeah. yeah. What yeah, was yeah. what was that moment like? I mean, I've I've had players throw up. On yeah, the court yeah. Against we me, had right? one the other day actually throw up. Really? The poor guy had to default five yeah. ball on the third, but. Oh. Yeah, I'll show you the video no, later. Not good. But yeah, um, yeah no. that match against Pete when he was crying, he just lost his coach. Um, yeah. Early. I mean, it's it a, a very one. strange moment for you, I'm sure, because very. it was a hugely important match. It was, but we also knew what was going on off the court. Um, Pete and I had been at dinner the night before together at a, at a table with, with Tom and Tim Gullickson, who were at the time that we played the match the next night on a plane flying back home to Chicago to try and figure out exactly why Tim kept having these seizures mm. and what, what, what was... So you and Pete had dinner Pete and I the and night and before your match. Paul Anacone, who was going to step in and take over for Timmy G in the meantime, we all, with Ian Hamilton of Nike, we mm -hmm. all went out together. And, you know, we went and visited, uh, Brad Stein and I went and visited, he was my coach up there in Australia. Mm -hmm. We went and visited Tim at the hospital before they left. Like, we're close to a bunch, you know. And, mm -hmm. of course, 
We want to win the match. Of course, Pete and I know what's at, at stake. stake. Yeah. You know, of course, we know all of this stuff. But we also knew that there was something bigger and more sinister in play, and that that was bringing a lot of darkness mm-hmm. to the match. So he struggled. I mean, he he was very clearly struggling with his emotions, which he'd already he's always bottled up prior to that point. And he just couldn't take it anymore. And the fans were trying to be supportive of it, and they sort of broke him down. And he started crying, and it and it certainly became a memorable match. It was the, yeah. the level of tennis was excellent. Um, I think it would have been memorable just on the tennis alone for me. Yeah. But that just added a, a new element to it of of awkwardness and darkness to it. And uh, I remember after the match, I had a friend of mine who hadn't seen a lot of tennis, uh, who was an entertainer. Who I got in tickets to the match. He, he was in town playing with his band, and, and they, he came into the locker room afterwards. And Pete and I were both on training tables next to each other, like you do, you know. And we're both cramping, and and we're both sort of just talking to each other. And he and he, like I went to dinner with him the next day. He goes, "Do you guys like do that? Do you talk to each other after matches like that?" He's like, "I couldn't possibly." How do you do that? Oh, the, the entertainer was saying, how do yeah, you do that? Yeah, they had no concept of how combatants could actually then get, just go talk about it afterwards yeah. and be next to each other. And, yeah. you know, if you're not from the world, it's just a very foreign concept yeah. because most team sports, obviously, that doesn't happen. No. I mean, tennis is They'd rather is kill different. each other. Tennis is different. So, you know, that, that's that's something that you Wait know, a you second, though. Away. Let me just stop you there because tennis is different, but there are also times where there's been times where I know players would rather be on the other side of the world the next to their yeah. opponent and not talk so yeah. we don't want to give everyone this rosy that everyone's everyone's like that I would say okay. a lot that's fair I would that's say a lot fair. I've seen a few people pinned up against a locker before but yeah, yeah. So, but look, I'm not yeah. throwing anyone under, under the bus Mark Knowles but you know <laughs> <laughs> no but it's true I mean it, it is an interesting uh, dynamic that in the locker room everyone's in the locker room yeah. like literally I think one of the funniest things for me is like US Open you know have the champions locker and you, you could have the entire locker room available, mm-hmm. the entire locker room, and you have the two people in the final, and they have the lockers right next to one another, yeah. and they refuse to move during right. the tournament. Right. So they're getting showered and dressed within three feet of one another. Yeah. And it's just like, you can't change anything. Can't yeah. change. Did you have any weird superstitions, actually? Superstitions? Not really. No? no not Didn't have your Rafa I mean, bottle. I had rituals. Like, yeah. I, I wanted to, you know ball when the deuce court I'm taking the ball from the ball kid on that side and add court the other side just okay, for just go. to expedite um but no I wasn't was it to expedite or it was like that was your thing well it was my thing yeah. but and I didn't like it when one of the ball kids didn't have the ball when I wanted them to but you know I use the other one and if I lost the point I blamed it on the ball kid <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding but you know you just get used to things that I think the reason that I had the rituals, and I suspect it's a reason that you did, and we all have our little things on the court, yeah. is because it makes us comfortable yeah. when we're traveling the world, doing different things in different cities. That that's our home office, and it makes us feel at home in a stressful environment. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Okay, so you have this incredible rivalries and these amazing moments, and it was a, it was an incredible decade, particularly for American tennis. When you talk about you and Pete and Andre and, and Michael, cut to you know twenty years later and what we're seeing now with Roger and Rafa yeah. and Novak. Mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, t- explain that because you were in the midst of such an incredible sort of decade there in the yeah. in the nineties. What what are you seeing now? Well, first of all, they're just amazing athletes. Uh, the level of athleticism, their professionalism, their dedication, their understanding of scheduling. There's so much that they do right that yeah. that leads them to the success, and they have a. a a circumstance where the the surfaces have become more homogenized, which allows them to play a similar style across all surfaces, and there are fewer surface specialists than than there were back in the day. And I don't know if that's why they're more consistent. It might have something, a very small piece of it, but they're far more consistent than any of the great players in my generation Mm -hmm. were. Um, You you would see top players take early losses, and and it wouldn't blow your mind. Now if you see these guys lose early in a major, like when Stokowski beats Federer at Wimbledon, you're like, oh, my God, the world's ending. You can't believe this is happening. But the thing that I think separates them from the other great players is their defensive capabilities because most of the great players um, historically are offensive-minded players. Pete had the serve and the forehand. Yeah. You know, you look at that, uh, that, that... Pete, if he's having a good day, absolutely unbeatable, and he had more, far more good days than bad days. Yeah. But on bad days, he was vulnerable. Yeah. And these guys, if they're having a bad offensive day, they just fall back and play defense. Mm-hmm. And they play such high percentage tennis. They know how to manage their games, and they they've shrunk the the bandwidth mm-hmm. of their good and bad days to a point that it's almost a flat line. They just rarely have yeah. these days where you. I mean, no, I I can think of. Novak playing Gilles Simone in Australia and making 100, literally 100 unforced errors in a five-set match, and he still won. Yeah. He still managed to find his way through mm. the worst day he's probably ever had in tennis that I've seen him, as far as that statistic goes. Like by far, he still found a way to win. These guys are just so good at managing all the elements that are in play, and they're playing with, you know, the margins are small. The game is faster than it's ever been. There's less reaction time than... than than we had in between shots for sure but um, they're awesome they're amazing ambassadors and and it's just it just boggles the mind to think that we waited so long for someone to clip Emma's 12 majors in men's tennis you know and and then Pete gets to 14 and and walks off after he wins the open and you're like well that's never going to get beaten and then there are three guys from the same era yeah it's just, it's my, it is, it's amazing. I know this is an impossible thing to ask, but I mean, I'm going to be just because I'm Well, that the Impossible person. Burger seems like it well, doesn't work y- too, but it does. Well, yeah, that's, it's true, but I own that stock, so I'm happy with that. You but, should. Um, but uh, tell me about, if you had to sort of take a run at it right now, who do you think is going to have the most of those three? Um, I mean, look, the easy money would be on the guy in the lead right now because you just don't know who's going to get injured. So Roger, sure. you know, Roger sitting at, at 20, you know, right now, you, that's probably where the betting line should be just because of the injury factor. But I, I, I suspect that when it's all said and done, if injuries are not a huge part of the discussion going forward for Rafa and for Novak, that Novak's going to have the most. Yeah, I think that's the consensus for, for a lot of people. I, I agree with you with the injury thing. We can't ever yeah. understand or, you know, look what happened to Novak for those couple of years, you know, right. with the elbow and, that's right. you know, Rafa with the knees. I yep. um, think that's going to be an ongoing issue. And, you know, look at what Roger did. You know, we thought he was all done like five years ago yeah. with the back. So yep. you never know. But I think 
the betting money would be if I had to put it on. That's for you too. No, for that, Novak to yeah, be, yeah. you know. But I think the Wimbledon final actually was a precursor on what, why. Well, it was huge. Because I think if Roger had got 21, yeah. um, that might have been close to being unsuppressible. But I don't know. I think now that Novak's the guy to beat. Yeah, well, just think about it. I mean, he, he's uh, five years younger than Raj, I believe, something like that, and five or six. So he's got, if he stays healthy, and he seems to be taking great care of his body, so he probably has another 20 looks at majors. Yeah, and he's great on all surfaces. Yeah. So I, I think it's not unrealistic to think that he can win five more. So, you know, when you but think that's about... That's saying that Roger doesn't win anymore, too. Of course, There's so yeah. many variables here. Yeah, there's but, a lot of variables, but yeah. Roger's, you know, um, not getting any younger, as they say. Father sure. Time does catch up up yeah, to everybody. It's undefeated. Speaking of Father Time, retirement, back to you, what was the catalyst that you, you said, all right, Jim, it's time to hang it up? It was one specific... And how, and how hard was it or how easy was it? So it was easy. It was one specific match. I was playing... It was one specific tournament, I should say. I was playing in San Jose in uh, February, you know, the indoor swing in the States after yeah. Australia. Yeah. And I made it out to the semis, and I played a young Aussie, talented Aussie, Mark Filipousis. Yeah. And, uh, and Flip and I are battling in the semifinals on a Saturday, and we've got a great crowd in the arena. And I lose a close match, and I walk off the court, and I just didn't feel the sting. Mm. And that's when I knew I needed to, to let someone who felt the sting take that spot. You mm. know, I... I done everything that I could in my career to, to be ready to play every day mm. and for me not feeling what I needed to feel on the court which was, was a real off. well yeah yeah you got to feel something yeah. and not having that that uh, pang of regret after the match I just wanted to go home yeah. and then when I wanted to go home that's yeah. when I knew I needed to stay there and find something else that made me want to leave <laughs> it, 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 I think it's really important for people to understand what what's the motivator mm. and, and some people have very different motivations some yep. just the injuries physically they can't do it sometimes they look I want to have especially with women you know I want to have family so and I'm not motivated anymore to do this I'm not yeah. motivated to travel be away from my family or you know yours is like you know it didn't sting for me and, and yeah. then you start to go why am I doing this anymore then and being away from my family yeah. and putting myself through hell because you, ha you had it's to a big physically lift. play well, it, it's, well it's a big lift and I I couldn't do it halfway. Yeah. I, I just don't have that in my personality to yeah. mail it in. And I didn't think it was right to go out there and take a spot on tour if I wasn't impassioned. Yeah. And, and I also knew And you're not bombing work. down 120, 140 no, mile-an-hour serves no, winning easy points. No, there, there's that too. But even people who did that ended up finding th that it was a lot. And that, yeah. you know, Pete was w able to win without having to really grind. Yeah. And even for him, it just became a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I get that. And I admire the players who have managed their schedules better than we have and, and are doing some, so many great things for themselves and especially for the sport. Mm -hmm. You know, having our stars stay in the sport so much longer That's now crazy. is so valuable for tennis. Yeah. Is it tougher on the younger players to break through? Absolutely. But for the long term and immediate health of the game, if you can have, say, Coco, you don't ha Coco Golf, you don't have to come out and grind right now. It, this doesn't have to be the apex of your career like a Martina yeah. Hingis. Yeah. You have until, I mean, look at what Venus and Serena are doing. Mid-30s. Yeah, I mean, mid-late 30s, you can still be winning majors. Or if you said that to them. the kids now, they're like, there's no way I'm going to be playing in my 30s. I mean, because Serena and Venus both used to give me shit for still mm. playing on the tour in my late yeah. 30s. Yeah. And I'm like, excuse me? Hello? Yeah. Who's yeah. still playing? Yeah. I think it's it's 
And it's about what you're talking about. If you still have the passion to put yeah. yourself through the grind and through the stress, because it's yeah. stress, and particularly when you're a great player, the expectation is to always win. Yeah. So if you can put yourself through that consistently and be okay with it, yeah. that means you still have the passion to play. Yeah, and, and, and I think one of the things that helps players keep that passion is taking good breaks and yeah. scheduling properly. Yeah. And, and one one of the reasons that I suspect Andre was able to play into his mid-30s at such a high level was that he took a lot of time off yeah. for various reasons during the, his 20s, yeah. and that gave him a second win to go. Something That's something that Michael and, and Pete and I didn't do. We just kept grinding, 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 grinding yeah. tournaments, exhibitions. You know, it was a never-ending calendar, and, and um, you know, knowing you can't go back and in uncorked time, but if you knew, you know, seeing what players do today, be like, yeah, of course I'm going to take a month off after yeah. the U.S. What's Open wrong or with after that? Australia. I'm not going to go to Dubai and Europe. I'm going to relax, yeah. rest, and get another training block and be at home and be fresh and then go play. So you, you think it's a good thing that someone like Coco, that the WTA has that um, age eligibility rule? Yeah, look, I'm conflicted in a way because I I, I do believe that, that uh, I don't believe in, in the rules in some of the team sports where you, like, if you're good enough to play in the NFL, you should be able to go play, especially a sport like that where the lifespan of those so athletes short. is so yeah. small. And to give up some of your good years to play in college for free, I, I'm not a, a big fan of that. But I think guardrails are good, and I don't think that, was it 15 events yeah. that she's able to play? Yeah, I, I'm, I should it's know. It's something that. along those lines. Along I think we're, I'm learning about it yeah, through, yeah. through her success. I don't think that's a bad thing because she can also play exhibitions and world team tennis and there are other ways for her to still get compete yeah. and get matches that are going to make her better. But she should be, and it's a good thing also in my opinion, that she has the counsel of Tony Godsick and Team 8 yeah. who have managed Roger's career Beautiful. from a scheduling standpoint as well fantastically and they can point to that. Yeah. And that's a, she is a great role model mm. From and then she's on the inside for that. So I, I think it's... I think it's fine. I, I, She's playing know. an exhibition, actually, with Ash Barty in about a month yeah, prior to the U.S. Open. So, yes. Yeah, yeah Winston-Salem. Yeah. So, yeah, that. you're right. I mean, she's still going to get exposure. Yeah. still going to be playing great players. And I've always said now, tennis is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah. It used to be in our day a, a more of a sprint. Right. Sprint to 30. Hang on for a couple of years, maybe. Yeah. Now it's like no marathon through till about mid-30s. Um, and time. now with the money, people, obviously, that make a good living can ha certainly have a great team around them. Correct. Um, uh, just quickly, I want to get into your um, broadcasting. Like, how did that happen? I mean, obviously, you and I are quite loquacious, so it's not exactly <laughs> difficult to get into. But I don't think I was known as, as being that way when I came off tour, though. But it happened serendipitously. You know, I was—I had a pretty, um, a pretty chilly relationship with a lot of people in the media. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I got burned in some early stories and wasn't mature enough to sort of separate a couple of bad bad eggs from the whole carton. So I could be a little tough in press conferences. Um, salty. Yes, very salty, indeed. Sea salty, even. Sea salty. But um, mm -hmm. so what happened was I retire at the same time that TNT, a network in America, um, got the rights for Wimbledon away from HBO, and they needed a team, and they didn't have anyone. And um, people at IMG who were managing at the time said, "Hey, is this something you would be interested in doing?" I said. Yeah, I'm, I've been hanging out in Orlando for a few months. It's been fun, but yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to see some friends, and I'll try it, see if I like it. And it it dawned on me that I didn't know anything about it, so I was very nervous going into it. Mm -hmm. um, and it dawned on me that I sh I shouldn't be starting at Wimbledon. I should probably be starting <laughs> at a at a very small tournament somewhere where no one's listening, so I can learn how to do this. But I was lucky enough to be surrounded by some amazing 
people both behind the, the in the truck and next to me in the seat. I got to work with Mary Carrillo. I got to work with Marv Albert. Um, we just had an amazing group of professionals. Ernie Johnson was our man on the desk, who's incredible. There you go. I mean, I, we were just they, the the the. Uh, it was a padded room for me, yeah. so I couldn't really hurt myself too badly. And it was an amazing start and an experience, and I've kind of just done it ever since. Tell people what it's like What was you. your first? I you actually, to be honest with you, I did my very first um, broadcast when I was 18 Whoa. in Australia. Um, Gary Wilkinson, who's a great uh, yeah. Australian broadcaster sure. for many, many years, um, jokingly said to me, what do you want to do when you're done? I said, Gary, I'm only just starting my tennis career. Like, don't throw me under the bus yet. And I said, I don't know, maybe when I'm done, I'd like to do what you do, kind of as a joke. And he said, well, why don't you come in and sit and do a match with me tomorrow? And, you know, me being so stupidly naive and ballsy at the same time, I was like, all right. And literally, that was my first match. It was awesome. Nicole Pratt played Sabine Appleman's in Brisbane. And my first awesome. thing was on camera. So, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I didn't know any better. So I just sort of ran with it. And, you know, I sp- sp- throughout my career, actually spat in, just like spits and spats, did um, Eurosport, yeah. uh, Australian TV, and Smart. then ESPN, and then Tennis Channel, and now, um, you know, you I'm know all what? over the place. So, so your first thing was an on camera. So yeah. my first thing was to interview my peers before the tournament. I had to do sit-down interviews oh with Andre God. and Pete. Oh, how difficult they was came that? Over, they came over to my rental house. We set the cameras up over there. It was brutal. I was sweating bullets. It was awful. Did they? But was they it, were so kind. Of course but, they are. But, They're but like actually laughing like this kind is ridiculous. Of, kind of good in some respects because at least you knew them. It wasn't like two oh, yeah. people, it wasn't like these superstars looking at you going, "Who the hell are you?" They oh were no, like, oh, dude, you. They were going to take care of me, but we we're all we're all, all in on the joke. Like, how is this real? Like, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> well, at least you knew good questions to ask them, and that's it. Oh, I was terrible. I'm sure I was awful. No, I'm sure it's, you were great. No, I'm, I'm sure you I were great. I was not. I promise you. Um, last couple of questions, because yep. I know you're busy and you got to go, and I really appreciate your time. But um, when you know, when you look at tennis now, um, I mean. And you're now in the broadcasting, you're, you're, you're running uh, the, the old farts, the Legends yeah, the Tour. In, we, we call it the Invesco Series. Yeah, but There you go, the Invesco you're, Series. You're, you're down the right idea. <laughs> you got the right idea. Is it. that fun for you to, to, to be around still and play and play these guys? I, I love the way that I'm, I've figured out a way to, to stay in the tennis world. Stay in and, shape. And you're still in great it, shape. That's, and it's a great reason to stay in shape when yeah. you know you've got to compete and it's going to be televised. It's sort of yeah. your ego sort of says I better practice and yeah. I better stay with it and, and I want the clothes to fit and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right? Some aren't. Right? Some aren't doing the work, uh, but a lot are. I'm, I'm actually impressed with you guys when I see you thanks. week in and week out. I'm yeah. like, God, how do you still do this? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I've, it's, I never, even when I was tired of the grind, when I'd retired, I was still so living in Orlando. I swear, I still have my yeah, house and yeah. still live. And Pete was training out of the same place. And Pete came back after like Miami, and he needed someone to hit with. And I was retired. Literally, stopped. I didn't even told anyone that I was retired. And yeah. So I went out and hit like two on ones with Pete all week. You know, I, it's not. I never lost the love for actually hitting the tennis ball. It was just doing everything else that and getting on the plane. Yeah. You know, it's a great line that um, the bass player from ZZ Top says is. They don't pay me to get on stage. They pay me to get on the bus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good yeah. way of thinking about yeah. it. So, are you going to get your kids in tennis, or are you just yeah. going to let them do whatever they so want? So, I, I have a two and a half and a four and a half year old um, boys, yeah. and they have their little rackets, and oh, we've got the foam balls, oh, and we okay. play tennis in the house because yeah. the foam balls are fine. Yeah. And um, and my my four and a half is. You know, takes little uh, semi-private lessons with his best friend. So we get the, our club pro down in Orlando, gives him a 30-minute lesson once a week when we're there. 
and he's, he's good. He likes it, and yeah, it's fun, good. and we don't do it too much. Yeah. You know, I'm basically wait for him to ask if he wants to play, and then that two-and-a-half-year-old just follows him around and can can barely pick the racket up, so he drags it around. He's almost playing more golf with yeah. the tennis racket. Yeah, it's fun. But it's, it's great. It's just and, seeing it. Yeah. It must be amazing for you. Yeah. You know, that. my wife played college tennis, and she yeah. played the Futures and Challengers and yeah. stuff, so we're, we're a tennis family. Susanna. So let's yeah. give her a shout-out. Susanna's the best. Yeah. Um, she has far better technique than we than I do. <laughs> Maybe on the back end. For sure. Well, uh, on the forehand, too. Oh, well, yeah. we've got to see that. i yeah. got to see that. Maybe it's, I can play good. with you. Up in New York, I can hit you some can balls do it. with Susanna. I need someone to play with when I'm up there. Yeah, so. well, we'll, we'll be there for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, God, there's so many questions I want to ask you, but we got to go. But um, okay. I guess one question I want to know, is there one match or one point where you were just like, I just can't even believe this is happening? One match or one point where I can't believe is, yes, yes. Um, the first final I ever made you always remember your first final, right? So on the ATP or on the slam? On, on the ATP. Uh-huh. So the ATP. Uh, I was playing in Basel. Uh, I was playing Stefan Edberg mm-hmm. in the final. And at, at that time, the final was best of five. It was two out of three until the final. So a yeah. um, couple things that I can't believe. So um, there was also back then, after the third set, there was a 10-minute break. Automatic. Yeah. So we, we split the first two sets. He wins the third set, and we go in. And you can talk to your coach and all that. Yeah. So we go in, and I'm with my coach, you know, the guy from Boletaries yeah. that, that yeah. I would leave with later. And we go in, and I'm trying to problem solve with him. And Edward comes in, strips naked, goes and takes a shower. I could not believe that. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Like, he goes and takes a shower. Tony Pickard, his coach, is just kind of sitting there sort of ho-humming. I'm like, this is great. I'm going to win this fourth set. He's in there combing his hair and putting on deodorant afterwards. I mean, he did look good. He looked great. Stefan still looks That's great. That's why he looks so good. He yeah. actually went and had a shower. He went and had a shower. Brushed his hair. And I won the fourth set 6-0. No, come on. Yeah, yeah. So I won the fourth set 6-0, and then somehow I, I scrambled and scraped to a 7-5 in the fifth set win. <laughs> That's a But classic. it was, I mean, the shower, right? Can you, I was like, who does this? I'm, I'm like I a guess a lot of people. I guess so. I was a 19-year-old kid. I was like, I, I got, maybe this is what you're supposed to do. Maybe if I get here, I'll do this next time. Not, not when you won the set six love. You're like, hell no, I'm not yeah. taking a shower ever, yeah. ever, ever, ever yeah. in between a match. Yeah, yeah. Really? Did you never take a shower in between? Even when rain yeah. delays? Well, rain long? delays, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You didn't think should but I be not doing not if this? you only have 10 minutes. You're going to blow five of it on a shower and change? I mean, no, I want to talk to my coach and I'll change a shirt. I mean, I might change my clothes, but I'm not getting a shower. That's hilarious. Yeah. Sorry, Stefan. Shouldn't have taken a shower. Shouldn't have done that. But damn your hair, man. If I, I'd never worn a hat if I had hair like yours. He still looks good. He's a handsome fellow. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Jim, thanks so much. Thanks, Dubsy. Carry fun. carry on here in right. uh, Washington, and I'll see you continually on the road. Um, and to people that don't know Jim, um, he is uh, the real deal. He's a great guy, and uh, I'm going to talk about you later. So okay, I don't good. Do well, that yeah, because I'm already embarrassing. I mean, you're already a redhead. We don't need to make you a red face. <laughs> <laughs> I got that too. They can't see the money that's coming under the table right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll All see. right. Thanks, All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Okay. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Ruggieri and the team at Acast. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers.